going to Laodicea. So we're going to be in Revelation 3.14. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be coming back to Philadelphia. But. Okay, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so we are going to go through this verse by verse. Verse 14, the angel of the church in Laodicea write to the angel. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In the Aramaic, from the Aramaic, it says, and to the messenger of the assembly of Laodicea, write, thus says the eternal, the trustworthy and true witness, and the source of the creation of God. Okay, so this, we want to pay attention to this because this is Jesus defining himself to us. This is who he says he is. The amen. Okay, what's the amen? It's the final word. The final, ultimate, finished word. It says witness. Okay, now this is, this is my definition of a witness, of a witness. One required to uphold the truth regardless of any personal sacrifice. One required to uphold the truth regardless 
of any personal sacrifice. That's me, that's not scripture or anything like that, so you can get your own definition if you prefer. Um, But that's how I see it. Now he says that he is the faithful witness. That means the only dependable, the most trustworthy above all others. Okay? He also says he is the true witness. The true, the truth. Not a truth, not filtered through human wisdom. The absolute, uncontrovertible truth. Only truth. Okay? That's our Jesus. Authentic, completely genuine. He says he is, in the Aramaic, the source of the creation of God. That means the beginning of it all. That means the one who started it, the originator. Okay? Now what does create mean? Create means you make something out of nothing. Right? So let's go to John 1, 1 through 4, NIV 84. In the beginning was the word... We know that's Jesus, right? And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, And that life was the light of all mankind. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us such a light. And in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, the Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. But we've seen Jesus, haven't we? Okay. The firstborn... Over all creation. Over all creation. So that also implies rulership. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things And in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. That's going to be important to remember that later in our discussion today. So, he's the one who creates everything, and he is the one who holds everything together in your life. So think of this, okay? When you come to accept Jesus, he is the one who begins a totally new life in you. Totally new life. You get to forget about all the past things. You get to walk in his new life. Totally new. 
newly created life, glorious God life, glorious, shining, bright, God life, full of his potential, full of his dreams, full of his destiny for your life. And he is the one who sustains you. He is the one who holds you. He holds your life together in him. Okay, through every phase, every phase of your life, don't ever think that there is a time when, when you have been left alone. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish, I want, that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, we don't want to hear that, right? And I used to think, oh, wouldn't it be better to be lukewarm than cold, but let me explain this to you. See, Laodicea was an extremely wealthy, thriving city, full of commerce. You know, a lot of cities would only have like maybe one central marketplace. Well, history has it, if you read history, that they had like four major marketing market areas, okay? Full of commerce and business. One historian actually put it at 4,500 businesses, you know, 4,500 different establishments. So, on one side of Colo- was Colossae, and on the other side was Hierapolis. Well, Colossae had the mountains, the snow-capped mountains. They had fresh, cold, icy water. It was considered to be a, um, like a resort. Why would people come to the resort? Because of the refreshing of the cold waters, Okay. So, so there was life in the waters. Um, and then on the other side, Hierapolis had hot springs. So it was known for its healing properties, the hot springs, healing properties of the hot springs. And, and one, of, one of those cities was like 10 miles away, and one of those cities was 11 miles away. And so Laodicea, I guess, wanting the best of both worlds, decided to import the cold water and the hot water, okay? Um, Unfortunately, what happened, because of the aqueducts and the pipes, and they had, you know, like clay or whatever, like minerals in them, when it got, when those waters got to Laodicea, they really weren't good for anything. They were like putrid, like you couldn't really even drink them. They had lost their iciness, their coldness. They had lost their heat, okay? And so those refreshing qualities and those healing qualities were basically, you know, ineffective. So once the water um, lost its vitality, basically, the water lost its vitality. And... That's why Jesus could use this example. See, isn't it awesome how Jesus uses things that we understand to get his message across to us so that we can get true revelation? Um, So that's 
I mean, I'm assuming, I, you know, wouldn't that make sense to you that that's why he probably used this example? So he wishes that they would be either cold or hot, but they're neither. They're lukewarm. He wants them to be cold, refreshing, living waters, rivers of living waters ushering forth from their bellies, you know, strength, vitality, uh, renewal. He wants all those things for them. And he knows they can have them. He knows that's how he's designed them to walk. Not mired down by the things of this, this world, not being, you know, snuffed out by the problems and the issues, but walking in vitality and vigor and passion all the time. And he knows that's possible. It's possible, beloved, for you. It is how you are created to be. And so, anyway, they're not this way. They're lukewarm. And so then it's also his desire that they be hot. What's that? Well, on fire. I want to be on fire for God. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to hear every little inkling that the Holy Spirit gives me. I want to be so on fire for Jesus that the devil just trembles in my wake. He doesn't even come near me. He's like, woo! There's that woman with Holy Ghost fire, and I am running the other way. Well, that's how God sees you. You just have to believe it. You just have to know it. You just listen to the Holy Spirit. Do what he tells you to do. There will be no one that can, no, no demonic spirit that can challenge that. So, but they were not hot. They were lukewarm. So Jesus knows your potential. He knows how he packaged you. He knows that he packaged you for his greatness and nothing less. Hallelujah. You are created in his image, in his likeness, just like Jesus you have, cre- you have been created to be the same. The Lord knows your destiny. He knows your destiny. He knew the destiny for Laodicea. He knows the destiny for every single church. And it's much greater than we are tapping into right now. He knows your destiny in him. He knows how powerful you are meant to be, how powerful you will be when you keep him in your midst. So, he's giving the church of Laodicea, as he always gives all of us, a chance to change, a chance to self-correct. It could be big stuff. It could be little stuff. And he says, this is about, this is what I am about to do. 
Okay, he gives them fair warning. He always, always will encourage us with, hey, wake up, what about this? If we let him, you know, if we let him. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He'll always give, give, give us a warning. Now, that does not mean, beloved, that they are going to lose their salvation. Don't assume that. That's not how we interpret this. That's not how I interpret this scripture. This is not that they will lose their salvation. It is that if they don't awaken, they are not going to enter into the fullness. They are not going to enter into the greatness that he has intended for them. Okay? They will not walk in the completeness of his divine identity which he has ordained for each one of us to walk in. Okay? So, so because, this is verse 16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, Jesus is so good and kind and gracious that he, you know, he always gives us an answer. He always, he always will explain it to us. He says, I am rich, you say, you say, the church of Laodicea, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. They're deceived. Anyone who ever says, I do not need a thing, is deceived. Okay? But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Okay. When I hear that, I want to say, where in my life do I need to see greater revelation? Okay? Where in my life, that's what I want. And he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Just, stay, just be an open book before him. I mean, he knows it all anyway, so you might as well open the book and let him read the pages. Okay? So... What does lukewarm mean? It means without refreshing, without excitement, without fire, without healing, without the exuberant, passionate, passionate life of Christ in their midst. So he says, basically, that they have become haughty. They have become, they they think they're in need of nothing. They're arrogant, they're smug, they're self-reliant. And they have failed to realize their lifelessness. Okay? They're in Christ lifelessness. They're in Christ lifelessness. In reality, in reality, they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But they're not seeing it. And they don't, they, they, they don't even know it. They're self-assured. They're self-reliant. See? When we start relying on ourselves, we forget. We forget, and we don't want to do that. You don't forget. You're never going to forget. You guys are never going to forget. You're never going to become self-reliant. You're going to just depend on Jesus, okay? (laughs) Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me. He's so good. He always gives us a way out, and he's always counseling us. He's always showing us the way. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. The Aramaic, I counsel you to buy gold from me proved by fire that you may prosper, white garments to put on lest the shame of your nakedness be revealed, you know, God is so gracious. When, think of that statement right there. White garments to put on less so that it won't happen. He will never reveal your shame publicly unless you choose not to judge yourself, right? His whole design is to, re, he, the blood removes that, right? The shame and the guilt. So his whole design is, hey, it's between you, you and I. This is between you and I. And we can, we can handle this together. We can fix this together. Okay? That's his whole heart. An eye salve to apply that you may see. So he wants them to have all this. And he gives them a way to fix it. He gives them a way out of the situation. He never disciplines without giving a solution and without showing an answer. So he asks us to repent. Why? So that we can just return into that intimacy with him. Communion with him. No separation. You know, Jesus tore the veil, so we don't have to have anything between us. So he restores. He's always restoring. He's always moving us forward into his destiny for us, into his plan and his divine purposes, his goodness, his glory, his shining bright light in our lives, his sweetness, his sweetness. Philippians 1.6, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, that's his goal. Totally, it does, I don't care if you're sitting there saying, I did this wrong, this wrong, this one, I made this mistake, this mistake. He does not invalidate the word of God. This word of God right here, he is totally able to move you into his complete divine destiny for your life. His beautiful plans and vision for your life. He counsels us. He says, this is the way. Walk in it, right? Isaiah 30 says that, right? This is the way. Walk in it. So the end result of our repentance, what's that? Returning to him. You know, desiring that intimacy, that communion. In whatever area of your life, that doesn't mean that you've left him in every area of your life, but there are areas of life where we're maybe not listening as much, not allowing him to come in and sup with us, dine with us, right? So, 
the result. This is his, this is his purpose for you, his vision for you, that you receive from him gold refined in the fire. No impurities. No impurities. You truly become rich. The Aramaic uses the word prosper. That's every area of life. That's material and that is spiritual. That is, that is every all-inclusive. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? Every spiritual blessing. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Did you hear me? Nothing missing. Nothing broken. All the fullness of Christ. Second Peter says we become partakers, partakers of the divine nature. His total character manifests in you. The purity of who he is. His love saturating you and just like, so you are so saturated in the love of God that it just like flows out and you can't ever even stop it. And someone comes to you and they're hurting and they're in pain and you look at them and you say, it's going to be all right. I serve the God of every goodness, of all goodness, a God that loves you beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And as I talk to you, precious person, the Lord will take your face in his hands and he will hold you. And he will look into your eyes. And he will say, I love you. And you, because you have the love of God streaming, it is who you are. You can't even say an unkind word or have an unkind thought. The compassion in your heart just rolls out. It just gushes. You couldn't stop it if you wanted to. And you wake up and you go, Lord, I truly want for that person what you want. I don't have one impure thought, no manipulation, no what's in it for me. Just your goodness, just your purity, just what you want in their life, that's what I want, Lord. And so just let your love just come through and, 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 and soak me up and, 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 and then that is like out like rivers of living water. Living water. No death, no darkness. That's the purity of who he is. You become the purity of who he is in, their, in that person's life. So then he says he gives them white clothes to wear. What is that? That's an emblem of his purity. That's the emblem of his very best. 
better than you can ever imagine. But when we walk in Christ, we understand it. Not in our human reasoning, but we understand it in in his spirit. Shining bright, the, the pure righteousness of God, his holiness, you dressed in his holiness. The marriage garment. Think about this, beloved. The marriage garment. The white, pure, shining marriage garment that you are wearing at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm only going to say this right now because the Lord's telling me to say it. But you are in the marriage right now. This is not something that is just where you go when the tribulation occurs down here. You are in the marriage now. And he is clothing you in the marriage garment And I don't care who disagrees with me on that. We put on Christ. We put on Christ. We put on his glory. We put on his purity. We are robed in him. We are hidden in him. We are we are yeah, hidden in him. I mean, the devil can't see you when you're hidden in him. Can't even find you. Nobody's home when the devil comes knocking. Your Jesus is standing there at the door. Hallelujah. He is your covering. No more nakedness, no more shame, no more guilt. So you see, he knows that when we judge ourselves, when we repent, that we are not going to be judged. It's over, it's over, it's over, it's over. 1 Corinthians 11.31 But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, with regard to ourselves, Don't think you need to go around discerning other people's problems. I'm just going to say this to you right now about that. It says spirits. It doesn't say people. If you want to go back and read about that in the scripture. So just like keep that in your hat. Staff our eyes so we can see. What's that? That's spiritual insight so that we can see all the things of God, all the fullness of God, so that we can see his heart, insight into his intimacies. See that? He's not keeping it from you. He wants you to have the salve so that you see the intimacies of his heart, his pleasures toward you. 
knowing his divine purpose, knowing his divine destinies, knowing his goodness manifest in your life, his glory shining in your life, walking and seeing that glory revealed. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. I re- Aramaic, I rebuke and discipline those whom I love. Be zealous. Be zealous, therefore, and return. See, this is not about salvation. This is intimacy with our Lord. He disciplines us because he loves us, and when we repent, we just walk into the glory. We just walk into the fullness. When we return our hearts to him, we walk in the all-consuming presence of our Lord and Savior. He wants intimacy with us. He wants to just walk with us. You know, it's not a hard thing. He just walks with you all day long. Just walks with you, just talks with you. There was that really cool old song, He Walks With Me and He Talks With Me. Yeah, that was a good song. And he tells me I am his own. Verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, I'm going to, see, I'm going to tell you again, this is not about salvation. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He is talking to the church here. He's talking to believers here. See that? He's talking to the church. He's saying, church, open the door. Let my Holy Spirit do everything my Holy Spirit wants to do. Let me just be intimate with you. Just, just, just open the door and I'm going to come in like a flood. Don't hold me back. Amen. I'm just going to tell you that verse in Psalms. Everybody's got that verse wrong. It is not the devil that comes in like a flood. It is our good Lord that comes in like a flood. You go back and read it. So he's talking to the church. He is beckoning the church. He is beckoning believers to walk with him, to talk with him. This is a promise of intimacy. This is a promise of intimacy. Like none other you will ever know. Oh Lord, we want to know your intimacy more than anything else. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Allow us to open our hearts to the intimacy of who you are. I bind a spirit of fear off of every person in this place. A spirit of fear that tries to keep the Lord distance because they're afraid of what he might think or say or do. He's only going to think or say or do goodness unto you. So Lord, I just break that spirit of fear off of every person, that fear that we have in our culture of being intimate with other people even. 
above all else, we want intimacy with you, Lord. Just flood us with your intimacy. We do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, of your love, your love. You see, he says he will come in. We will dine with him. We will sup with him. We will partake of the fullness that he is. And the Psalms tell us even in the presence of our enemies. They, you realize when it says that, that they're way out there somewhere. They can't even come to the table. They haven't been given the right. You are supping in communion with your father. In the presence of your enemies, and they, and they can't do a thing about it. All they can do is look and say, I wish I were there. I want to be there. And you're there. You're there. Hallelujah. They can't touch you. I am supping at the table with my Lord. I am in communion with him. And like John, he's right here at my side, and I turn, and I put my head on his chest, and I hear his very heartbeat. I hear the very life of who he is. And I just, I I take that, and I say, thank you, Lord. I hear your heartbeat, your life streaming your life bringing me new life. So this is a promise. This is a promise that we will be with him at the table. This lavish banquet of honor and blessing. Verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, beloved, as a result of returning to that zealousness for Christ, being zealous for him, the believer receives all the magnificence of Christ. however you want to term that. All the glory, all the goodness, all the nature. We receive what he is. See that? We receive what he is. His fullness manifests in and through us. Hallelujah. Heirs of God, the same as Christ. Heirs of God, the same as Christ, no different. Receiving every spiritual blessing. Every, all the nature, all the character, all the life, all the goodness, all the glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Knowing, knowing, 
understanding, receiving, having it revealed in our spirits, our true union with the Father. It is not too much to grasp. Jesus Christ is in union with the Father, and you are in him, and you are in union with the Father. So, Lord, let the passion burn. Let the zealousness overtake us. Let the love and the purity of who you are saturate us so that we can be who you have designed us to be in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we're going to take communion, and we're just going to take communion. Hadn't really thought of this before, but honestly, this message is what we remember when we take communion, okay? So we are going to receive the body. Oh, hey, wait a minute. Patty, please come here. Patty came up to me with a word before church began. Hurry, Patty. And remember the white garments and the the marriage supper of the Lamb? Okay, so you read your word, what the Lord spoke to you. This was on yesterday. The Lord told her this. Yeah, this this was Saturday morning. And um, the Lord spoke very short. He said, bonds and matrimony. And then I said to him, I am yours, Lord, and you are mine. (laughs) Let my heart understand. Let me read and discern. So I may go forth and do your word. I am willing to be hated for your sake. Hallelujah. So do you understand, do you see? I mean, the Lord spoke to her, and I already had that in my message. You are married. The marriage supper of the Lamb, our Jesus, united, bonded, flesh of his flesh. Get a hold of that. I mean, you're, you're supposed to be that as husband and wife. But think about this, the incarnation. He came in flesh. And you are flesh of his flesh. Inseparable. Oh, Lord. Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! I would be nowhere without you! You have made me flesh of your flesh! Think of that, beloved! Who he is! Hallelujah. So you think
about that when we're taking communion today. He gave up that fleshly walk here. He gave up his entire walk here. So that's who you could be. Born of him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. That you allowed yourself to be crucified so that I could have life in you. In Jesus' name. And thank you, Lord, that you poured out your blood. Sorry. That you poured out your blood. That you will only ever again see me in you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Okay, so I, I want to do the tithe. And anyone who tells you that the tithe is not in the New Testament hasn't read their Bible. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices your mint, your dill, and your cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Your God wants it in every area of your life. He deserves it. And it will bless you when you do it his way. You blind guides. You strain out in a gnat. But you swallow a camel. Seriously. Are you going to continue to argue with your God over the tithe? It will be to your distress and not his. But he's very clear. And there will be blessing upon blessing upon blessing, just like anything else in life, when we do it his way. You will not be able to contain it. Go ahead and read Malachi. Why does the church continue to argue over this. I don't know. And there are so many teachers that have taught because they get asked, am I supposed to tithe on the grocer? Am I supposed to tithe on the net? And the stupid answer that they get is like, how much blessing do you want? Where do you know? It's either a tithe or it's not a tithe. Tithing on a net is not a tithe. It is an offering. And you deceive yourselves. People deceive themselves. And then 
Those pastors have taught them that. And then what happens is it doesn't happen according to the word. And they think they were following the word. And then they blame God. Well, first of all, we should never ever blame God for anything. If anything ever happens, we can't blame God. He's perfect. But anyway, he gave the whole. And he only asked us for a tithe on the whole. And that's about as strong as I'm ever going to get on the tithe. You heard it today. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you've taught us returning regarding the tithe. Thank you to just like everything else in life. When we do it your way, we can't help but be blessed. We're done arguing with you over it, Lord. Just help us to do it your way and help us to be cheerful about it. That's the key, really. Yeah, that's a, that's a mistake in Scripture, too. He loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, he loves a cheerful giver. So say, Lord, make me cheerful when I give my whole tithe. Don't let me do it grumbling. If you're going to do it grumbling, just keep it in your pocket. Because that's not going to do you any good either. And then you're going to blame God for that. We give what we give cheerfully. So I thank you, Lord, for every seed. I thank you for every tithe. I thank you for every offering. You are going to use it for good things. You are going to use it to reach people. You are going to use it to bless hearts. You are going to use it to grow us up, Lord. And I thank you for an amazing, bountiful harvest in their lives. Because they have obeyed you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. Regardless of how I sounded, I love you all. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. I do. I love you. So, Lord, I just thank you that they go in your blessing. I thank you that we all go in new revelation of your love for us, in new revelation of your destiny, in new revelation of your dreams, in new revelation of how big you see us, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.